Well, here we are. I'm Tony Hallow, and we're sitting in the studio in North Queensland on a lovely balmy spring day. And with me is my friend of, well, well over 33 years, Abilio Ferreira. And we've been chatting. We've been chatting probably for all of those 33 years. And you think you know someone until one day they disclose something you'd never heard before. And I'm going to ask Abilio to do what he did just a few weeks ago when we were on the other side of the world and there was just the two of us in a hotel room and we were talking about the remarkable movings of God's spirit in the human heart, his particularly. Abilio, when did you become aware that there was a God? I mean... Where were the when were the earliest moments in your time of life where you thought, yes, there is a God, and He counts? Well, I always thought that there was, that there was. I mean, I I, I guess being brought up in um, a Catholic family, that's very much a, a foregone conclusion. There's there was never a dispute at home or anything mentioned as in regards to whether their God existed or not. That was always in the, I guess, in the forefront of my mind, even though it wasn't really spoken of a lot. There was just, you know, God's there. An acknowledgement of God. An acknowledgement of God. Now, defining God, that was a different matter. Later, when I I did come to uh, know God, when I um, entered a born-again experience, uh, and began to read the Bible, yes, the Bible does give definition to the person of God, but that was not so much defined in our home. It was just God is there, God exists, it's an undisputed fact. So he was acknowledged but not known? Yes, 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 acknowledged but not known, not defined. Prayed to? Yes, it, there was, because, you know... Um, Coming from a religious background, there was, there was always um, church attendance. There was always formal prayer for needs, you know, a sick person or, you know, someone that, that needs um, uh, healing or, or someone that, you know, that the family's got concerns about. So there was, there was always that sort of prayer being offered or being sought and more often than not, it was always the, uh, the priest that you go to to ask for, for prayers. And I can honestly say I wasn't paying too much attention during the, during the masses, but I only had sort of like, you know, vague recollections of, of what the format was. Now, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So would you say you had acknowledgement of God, but not a vital faith? Yes. And did that extend to your family or were they in different ways uh, committed because they had some degree of faith? I think, I think uh, my family, they just had a, a very simplistic sort of faith. Like I said, you know, they, they knew that God existed. He was there, not defined. I, when I was growing up, I, I wanted something a little bit more defined. I can still remember this, this is some of the, the, the things that I, I still you know, that are still very vivid in my mind. When I was doing my first communion, asking, asking the priest, you know, how do you know that you're going to heaven? 
you know, how can we know that we're right with God and, and done sufficient good works or, you know, or whatever to make it into heaven? Qualified. Qualified, yes. He said, well, we don't really know this side of eternity, you know, because we don't know what the future holds for us. We don't know what type of person we'll be. We don't know how many good works we need to do. So to my inquiring mind, it was not an answer. It was uh, something that can't be known. And I always thought, well, if, if you don't know and, and you can't find out definitively, well, what's the use? So I, I thought to myself, well, if there is a God, he is not in his creation and, not, and he's just allowing us to do as we please and then see what happens at the end, or God must be very different to what we imagine him to be. So how do you find out what God is like? Well, um, I didn't read the Bible at that point. Uh, it wasn't really encouraged. You know, it wasn't really encouraged. And, and I do remember um, my parents saying that people weren't encouraged to have a Bible at, at home because everything took place within, you know, the church. It was regulated by, by the church. It was interpreted by the priests. And, and I can see a, a valid point in that because, you know, otherwise you get people that are, they can take whatever they want and, and run with it. And I guess that's part and parcel of human nature. nature. You know, you, 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 you take what you, you th what suits you and, and you leave out the rest. And what's unpalatable, you, you leave it out. So In my mind's eye, I can see my father grinning or smiling or nodding, not in agreement, but in a cynical way saying, by contrast, the church is in control and they can lead you wherever they want you in a controlling fashion. Yes, there is an element of that. But uh, you would hope that they would lead you in the right direction. Well, but not if a priest says that exactly. he doesn't know yeah. whether you're going to heaven or not and doesn't give you any indication how you can know, I would say truth is pretty bare. Mm. Mm. And I would think if it were me and I was as eager as you were, I'd be looking elsewhere. That's what I did. I, I did well, look what elsewhere. what happened then? Well, um, I, I kept going to church. I think it was partly to, to please my parents. I always had this idea that if there was a God, there would be at least some definition. But seeing that I couldn't find it, couldn't find it in, the, in the, the denomination where I was brought up in, I thought, well, I'll, I'll put that on the, on the shelf and, and I'll live life the way I want to live life. And so I did. It kind of led down a pretty dark path. And I think it was because also, too, uh, I was having a discussion with one of, the, um, one of the deacons in Ukraine a number of weeks ago. And I asked him in regards to whether in, in Ukraine, because it's such a, um, a God-conscious country, whether there were still elements of, of Ukrainian culture that still went back to paganism. And he said, yes, there, there's very much that sort of thing in, in Ukraine. And I could see the same in Portuguese culture. Uh, we, we were brought up in, we came from um, a rural background and there was very much, I guess, remnants of paganism or other activity apart from church-endorsed activities. So with that, um, I, I found myself kind of looking in that area for, for something supernatural 
and you know went went down the line. Of, most of uh, uh, my peers of that time did, you know, uh, with chemical experimentation. Uh, I won't go into that, but um, but it was very much a part of the 60s and 70s and early 80s, and you know, looking for some sort of um, enlightenment, some sort of heightened awareness, or or something. Had a look into um, into uh, some friends were. Um, Muslims, so I had a look into that and kind of couldn't make sense of it. Another guy who was a, a Jehovah's Witness was, um, wasn't living as a, a good Jehovah's Witness but certainly endorsed that faith, dabbled in Rastafarianism, which was kind of equally confused, and, and just looked into a whole lot of other things. But um, How deep were these uh, exploit, uh, explorations? It, it was to. It was to. I think. I think what I was trying to find was something that was coherent and had a an element of truth in it. Because I looked at when I was listening to to you know the friends that were talking about it, there just seemed to be something that didn't quite something that didn't quite sound right. And you know, I, not that I read the Quran or anything like that, but I did ask them and quiz them a, a lot about about their, their faith. Uh, they took me to a mosque and I had a talk to one of their, um, uh, I don't know what you call them, but you Iman. Know, Iman, yes, yeah, so I had a talk to them and, and yeah, just, just didn't quite have that ring of, of truth or authenticity because I was looking at, you know, from my perspective, I was looking at uh, the, the, the faith that I was brought up in and it didn't have the answers to what I was looking for or didn't have that, I guess that authenticity, the answers that I was looking for. And I, I think that's, I think faith has got to answer questions on every single level of your life. Well, faith comes by hearing. Yes. And hearing by the word of God. Mm. So it's got to and can only stem from the solidarity mm. of truth. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think the last time I was involved with, with um, that, like as a younger person, like a 15 or 16 uh, in the Catholic Church, was there was a, a youth group that was being started. It didn't have anything as far as, as, as faith, but I think it was more like a social thing. And there was, you know, there was a few nice people there and, you know, people of my own age. And, and there was a, it was led by a, an, older, an older fellow. And then that was about the time when I started reading through the, through the Bible. So I read it through from cover to cover. Yeah, there was a lot of stories. You know, there was a lot that um, was interesting. But I, th I think looking back now with hindsight, I was reading it just as a, a, a mere book. And obviously the, the Bible is something that needs to be illuminated by the Spirit of God, knowing that now, after I came to faith and um, I read the Bible through again, and it was like reading a different book. So... So as you were saying, you know, it's got to be mixed with faith. Because you said something about five minutes ago that sort of beggars some sort of response, pretty negative response. You said mm. that you were looking for an element of faith. Mm. An element of faith could be a very dangerous thing. Mm. Uh, Satan will give you... An element of truth, I think you said. Yes, that's right. Uh, and he will give you truth until it gets to the point where 
it becomes absolute truth and then there's a twist. Mm. And so you, 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 you're duped uh, on the truth and then suddenly it's watered down or twisted or even undermined. And that seems to be the story of your life up until the time you met a young man at work. Mm. Now that to me was crucial. You were telling me yeah. about it. Tell everybody yeah. about it. Well, I think at that time, like... Um, uh, you were reading the Bible. Yeah, I was reading the Bible. I had read the Bible at that, at that stage as an early, at, an, at an earlier age. But it, it wasn't until um, I'd realised that what I was actually doing in life was destructive. Okay, it was, you know... The drugs, the alcohol. Yes, and all that sort of stuff. It was very destructive. I felt that I had to pull myself up, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. So I guess that started on another round of, of searching in a different direction. And so I, I did stop all that activity. I stopped hanging around with certain friends that, because I realised the only thing that kept us together was, was basically the, you know, the, the alcohol and the drugs and the lifestyle. I started, I started looking and I don't know whether I was praying or hoping I, I knew that I needed some sort of a change because the path that I was going down with was just not right. So, um, and I guess as, you, as God would have it, he puts people in your path. And so I, I can remember, uh, you know, vividly when I was closing up at work because I was working a, a night shift with a, another fellow and uh, he, he happened to be a Christian, not that I knew at the time. And I just said, to, said something to him which was, which was involuntary, but it just kind of slipped out. It was, um, he asked that uh, if I could go into the office area, which is down the end of this warehouse, and turn the lights off. And I, I just said to him, oh, I'd rather not. And he said, oh, why not? And I just said to him, because I'm afraid of the dark. And I, I and think- you're about 20, 21 at this time. I'm 21 time. at the time. But th that, I think that was a legacy of kind of dabbling in other things apart from the church, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what would you call it? I, I guess they would say there's no harm in it because it's kind of like white magic or people that tell your fortune and stuff like that. They don't see any harm in it. But it, it, like I said, it, it, was, it was mixed in the culture. So that sort of like living on the fringe of darkness or in a grey area added a, a lot of uncertainty to my life, which added a lot of fear. And I guess if you follow the logical Progression is, you know, uncertainty brings, you know, um, anxiety. Anxiety brings fear. Fear brings anger. Uh, anger bring, continued anger brings depression. So it was very much that sort of thing that was built into my life. When that sort of slipped out of my mouth, he said, oh, when, when I get fearful or I am afraid, I call out on the name of Jesus. And that absolutely you know, frazzled my mind because in my mind I thought that Jesus was someone that was in the Bible, yes, someone that came to die for our sins, but he had no further input or, or relevance or relevance in the in these modern times. You know, mm. he was there for the past, but he's not here in the in the present. So that clarifying things, that's that's the way I thought about Jesus and the way I thought about God. He set everything up in the past, but he's not relevant to the present. I think many decades ago I heard someone say that they believed God 
took some sort of gigantic clock mm. and wound it up, put it on the shelf and left. Yeah. And we're winding down for what purpose and to what end? I have no idea. Yes. I mean, it seems such a silly thing to say. Yeah. But, um, but God is in the present. God is... God would not be God if he isn't in the now as well as the then. But back then I, I had no, no notion no, of, no, of what didn't. it was like. But so anyway, um, so Robert, in saying this, prompted me to ask him some more questions. And so in asking these questions and him answering and talking together, he began to define what God was like. And this was what I was looking at, looking for, I should say. I wanted God to be defined. And... And then being a good Christian, he pointed me to the Bible and then he invited me to church where I heard the gospel uh, with fresh ears. Well, and let's, can we stop there? He invited you to church, which was, of course, not your acknowledged church, no. not the one you were familiar with. No, it was an evangelical church. Okay. What did you feel? What did you see? What did you sense when you first went there? It's a... Bible-believing, mm. Pentecostal mm. church, vastly different to Southern European Catholicism without any criticism of either, but quite different. Mm. So what were you mystified? Were you taken aback? No, I, I just thought it was different. It was just a, um, a gathering of young people. I remember what they spoke on was about rock music exposed and at that particular time I was um, very influenced in, in music and you know we were um, with the friends by that time I'd exited the band so but it still held interest to me so I was wanting to hear what he said about backmasking and stuff like that that's what got me in the gospel was was what I wanted to hear or you know what Robert was telling me but that kind of added another layer in that talk they're saying that um, music that's um, uh, with the wrong intent influences people in a bad way so the the devil can use music to influence you on certain things so at the end of it the the gospel was clearly defined if you accept Jesus as your only means of salvation then in accepting him and living for him you will be saved but the emphasis was on accepting Christ and then the change comes later. I was back then as a child asking, I guess, how many good works do you have to do to be saved? So in other words, I want to be good in order to receive rather than receive to be in time yeah. made good. Not made worthy, but... I didn't, know how to, yeah, I didn't know how to become good. That's no. what I wanted to find. Mm. But this gospel that I heard was in believing you have eternal life and then the change comes later. And I was doing it the other way around. Well, what intrigues me about you in before you met, well, before you talked and were engaged with this conversation with Robert, who indeed was God in the human form for you, mm. in the sense of influence. Before that, you said something quite noticeable. You told me this about two or three, four weeks ago, which really touched my heart. You said that you were waking up to the foolishness, 
not the frivolity because there was nothing frivolous in it, it was dangerous. You were waking up to the destructive elements in your life mm. and bit by bit you were weaning yourself off them, be it the excessive alcohol, the drugs, the lifestyle in the clubs and, uh, you know, wild women and mad behaviour and all that. And you just were divesting yourself of that. That really could be seen as an act of repentance, turning away from darkness. Yes. And then comes this minister of light, Mm. true light, the true gospel, Mm. Robert, Mm. in simplicity, in faithfulness to the gospel, he talks to you, you go to a meeting, you feel the endorsement of God in that place. What happened then? Well, You um, received. I I received. I, I definitely felt something. I understood the gospel for the very first time, where beforehand all I... I guess with my past religious background, it was always defining a line of demarcation, Mm. moral, immoral, you know, good, bad, you know, living close to the line, living over the line. So it was always defining that. So I I guess that was something that was built into me. But what I was looking for was that entrance into heaven, which I never really heard clearly defined until that that night on the Saturday. And yet in your first communion instructions, you were looking for God. I was, I was, I was. But I, as, as I said, I was looking also for de- definition of mm. who God was. Well, it's God, isn't it? You're mm. looking for mm. God. Mm. So you, you went to the meeting and on that very night, yep. you went forward and conscientiously... And conscientiously knowing exactly what... What, what, what did you know when you, when you were there? If I'd come up... As a counsellor, mm. as someone came to me when I was 13, mm. I was baffled and bewildered and I didn't know what to say. Yeah. But what would you have said if I said, why did you come forward tonight? Well, I knew that when I came forward, I was receiving forgiveness. Mm. Because when I, when I left that night, it was like all of those things that, that I'd been involved in, everything that I've crossed over the line and either offending people, hurting people, offending God. I knew that all of those things were forgiven. They were wiped. And when I walked out, I, I felt as if I had a, a new start. Mm. Mm. I, I felt absolutely new, like the slate that had everything that was written yes, on it. Yes, I identify with Yeah, that. it was totally wiped. Yes. And I can remember feeling for months on end, you know, that the past had absolutely gone and it, and it didn't have any bearing all of those, uh, all those things. That and I'd had done. no influence or to had, draw you back? Well, yes. I mean, there was always the temptation too to go back. But I, th- I think there, there was such an indelible realisation of that I'd, I'd passed from one, from well, as the Bible says, from darkness to light. It was so indelible in my mind that there, was, there wasn't that desire to go back. There was always, you know, obviously stumblings and fallings and stuff like that. There was, that's part and parcel of human nature. But, but the desire to do the things that I was doing before and not care was not there. After that point, if I did something wrong, I would know that I did something wrong rather than just shrug it off. And I think that's where, the, where I realised that something did happen and where I realised that the decision that I made that particular day 
did have a bearing on the way I, I was now thinking, talking, all of the habits that I, I used to have, they just didn't have any, any appeal. Well, how do you feed this newfound faith? Ah, well, that was the thing. See, when I read the Bible back when I was in my uh, mid-teens, and I, this is what I remembered very, very keenly, I remember that I didn't understand it. So I began to read the scriptures again. So I started from the very first chapter of Genesis and then read through to Revelation. The first year that I became a Christian, I read through the Bible twice. And again, it was like reading a different book. Things became relevant. I could see the truth of it. There was a lot of mystery that I didn't quite understand, but I could see the significance of what the scriptures were talking about, especially the Gospels. And I just kept applying those things to my life. I accepted Christ because I knew what I, I needed. I heard the gospel. And in making that decision, I had an experience. I really did feel clean. I, I felt totally changed. But I, intuitively, I knew that I felt that that wasn't enough. I had, to, I had to continue to convince myself because there were a lot of areas in the Bible which I wasn't quite sure of. So... Over the years, I kept reading, researching, reading, applying, because I thought, well, if this is, if this is the book of God, it's got it's to be real. So if you apply it, it's got to have change and effect in your life. And I found that to be so. So I got saved because of, of an awakening and an experience. Then I became further convinced by the reading of the scriptures. So were you staying on with the church that you went to? Initially? No. no. What I, happened? Well, they, they, that was too far away. And, and the, the fellow that spoke to me and uh, sort of like gave me some information, some uh, little tracks and things, he said, oh, where do you live? And I told him where I lived. He said, oh, that's too far. So he said, there's a, a really good church just around the corner from you, which happened to be Petersham, where you were the pastor. Mm. So I started going to that, that church on a Saturday night because I thought that's what it was, just on a Saturday night. And then kept going. Then I found out that there was a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. So I went along to those services as well. The very first uh, Saturday that I went to that church, I met at the door one of my old high school mates. And, and his first words were, to me were, Abilio, what are you doing here? And You're I welcome. said, Joe, what are you doing here? <laughs> Two so, former radicals or yes, we were, rascals or whatever you like to say. Yes, because we both had reputations in high school. Oh. So, um, so we were surprised. But I kept going to church. That was a time of trying to work out in a different context, in a different kind of, uh, how would you say, a religious environment. It was very different to the Catholic faith, very different. So uh, I guess I was just finding my feet there. But... I knew that the key to everything was reading the scriptures. Well, the Bible says, doesn't it? Mm, mm. The entrance of your word yes. brings light. Brings light, that's right. So light is remarkable. It dispels darkness. Mm, mm. It illuminates all kinds of traps. Mm. And it certainly shows the way. Mm. I think one of the other things that I found, this is alluding back to my past in... Your upbringing. Upbringing. Because as, as a child, there was always this, this fear of, you know, something that's just around the corner, uh, a presence, a dark dream, a nightmare. There was always that tension, that fear. But then what I feared because what I didn't see, the very night um, accepted Christ as my, my saviour, 
I had an open manifestation of, of darkness. And it was um, when I was asleep, I woke up and I felt this presence and saw this thing, which was very dark, like a shadow, going across the wall. And I found that it was, it was accompanied by a very strong odour of, of what I can only describe as rotting flesh. And this thing began to attack me and press me down into the bed. And then the only thing I could do was, again, as, as what Robert said, you know, call on the name of Jesus. And when I did, it released me straight away. Now, I, I woke up. Well, I was, I was already awake, but it was almost like I came to myself and thought to myself, this was real. Mm. And the funny thing was, was, that wasn't the only event. It kept happening for the next six months. And there were other things uh, that were happening. Like, for example, I was changing a light bulb and I was up a ladder. And before I even had a chance to reach for the light bulb, the light bulb uh, shattered into my face. I hadn't touched it. I still had both hands on the, of the ladder. So, and there were other things that happened that were just unusual. I mean, I guess in isolation, you wouldn't, you wouldn't consider them, you know. But when they kept happening repeatedly and often I thought to myself oh okay so I've obviously upset something or some some dark spirit uh, and now he's kind of showing his displeasure or trying to frighten me back away from Jesus that I was following so I can't say that it frightened me because I think the reason for my fear was dealt with and that was always the uncertainty. Now that I had certainty in Christ, those sorts of things that were always lingering in the shadows, and now that I could identify what they were, they no longer scared me or I wasn't afraid of them. Looking at you, you're poised. You certainly have a demeanour that speaks of confidence, mm -hmm. assurance, stability and vision. Would you say that that is so? And if so, how? Well, as far as confidence is concerned, um, just going back again to being assured of things, I have confidence in that what I do, as far as everything that I do in Christ and as far as everything that I, I seek, as long as I, I seek what, what God wants of me, I have confidence in that. Mm. So I have confidence in the will of God for, for me. Mm. So you feel you're in the will of God. In the will of God. Therefore, you're safe, secure, and you've got this amazing peace. Yes, and well, that, that's a spillover from, the peace is a spillover yeah. from knowing that you have an assurance in Christ and also, and you get that assurance by, by understanding the scriptures. And the impact in your family. Yeah, there, there was a little bit of, a, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say ripples, I would say tsunamis. And I can understand because um, it's always drilled into them saying, you know, if you leave the, the, the Catholic faith, then you've left, you've cut yourself off from God. But that was in, still in their mind. Mm. But I think, well, okay, I can understand that. So th there was a, a big stir about that. I guess in one good thing was that because of that, my dad began to read the scriptures because up until that point he had read it, but never with much intensity 
but now that he has a son that's kind of reading the scriptures all the time and he's, and he's out of the faith that he believes in and in something else which he doesn't understand, of course he's going to be concerned. That spurred him to read the scriptures. To try and refute exactly what you had received. Exactly. But what he didn't understand is that we were reading the same scriptures. Mm. There was just a slight interpretational difference on it as far as you know, assurance of salvation. But the thing was, after a number of years, there were people that were um, at his workplace that were also speaking to him that were also Christians. The same with my mother and sisters. They also encountered Christians as well in their life. So I, th I think God kind of sets people up. In the last number of years, my nephew's come to faith. My mum's faith has been deepened. It used to be a, a case of your religion and our religion, but now it's becoming our faith. Mm. And that's where the change is happening. It's the same God. It's just um, certain Christian denomination has different traditions and they hold on to them so tightly, they push everything else away and they think that that's the only truth. But no, that the scriptures are the only truth. You know? and, uh, and I think the scriptures are, are very are plain. I think it, just taking a simple reading of the scriptures and, and allowing scripture to interpret scripture, it doesn't say anything else. It won't lead you down a path that's wrong. But if you just basically read the scriptures and, and understand them as they're written and understand them in the historical context and also in the context of, of who they're written to and for what purpose, it will lead you to the truth. And obviously the Spirit of God will guide you along that way. You mentioned that you've come to a place of certainty mm. and assurance. Yep. So with that remarkable chasm that had been there for mm. years and years, with that filled mm. with certainty, has that given you abilities to be the person you are creatively? It, it, it does. It does. I, I think... I mean, you're a very creative person and extremely, well, let me put it to you, <laughs> there are worlds that you are entering all the time, I have exploring. A lot. Mm. You have a lot of irons in many fires mm. within the context of truth mm. and reality. And Bible. I would describe myself as someone that's inquisitive and I'm inquisitive about what God does and how God operates and how he's created everything. And I guess in, in searching things out, starting firstly and foremostly from the Bible, it gives me another aspect of God or a greater appreciation of God, of what he's done, what he's created. And uh, rather than thinking of, about yourself and your woes and your troubles, and of course everyone does that you know, from time to time, but it, it does release you a lot in pursuing things that are godly, pursuing things that are God-glorifying. One of the first things that I, I began to do when, um, when I became a Christian is I went out on the streets and evangelised with the group that was at church. And I found that one of the the hardest things, but one of the most rewarding things, because in conversing with people, you'll always be asked certain questions that you don't know. And so I would then go away and research it, read about it, find out where they were coming from, see what the scriptures say about it. And that started me on a pathway of being inquisitive and always asking questions and even if people, even if the question is not relevant to myself, but it's relevant to someone else, I'll always research it or pursue it to find out an answer to it. 
So um, you, you just list some of the interests you have oh, in have, this I, pursuit of knowledge. Yeah, well, I have a great interest in, in creation. Mm. You know, I, I read uh, science journals. I, you know, I look at, um, watch a lot of, um, and read a lot of things, uh, for example, like that's put out by Creation Ministries, Answers in Genesis, Creation Today. I also read a lot of the other side as well. I also read a, a lot of uh, evolutionary things and, you know, papers and try to work out how they think the way they think. In the last, probably the last five years, I read quite a bit of the Quran as well because I was coming across just here in Townsville a few people that were from the Islamic faith. Understanding a little bit or a lot about a lot of subjects will always come in helpful to people. Mm. And it'll also give you at least understanding of other faiths and other things, you know. And enriches your life anyway. Oh, absolutely, yes. Knowledge always. is tremendously satisfying, mm. you know, mm. so on. Well, thank you for sharing with us your faith and the journey into faith and by faith. Uh, there's been this marvellous encounter with God. Mm. And you would say now quite confidently, mm that you know him. Absolutely, absolutely. You know his presence, you know his blessing, mm. you know his will, mm. and you know that you're born again and you will face eternity without any apprehension at all. Looking forward to seeing God, mm. yes. And for people that listen in, if you're a non-believing person, I would always suggest that you look at evidences for the other side because I did the same thing. I weighed up one as opposed to another. I tried to do it with the least amount of bias, saying before about looking for a ring of authenticity, something that is logical, coherent. I can definitely say without bias, the scriptures, the Bible is a book that is coherent. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it all fits together. Mm. Obviously, the, the Spirit of God will convince you but it's always good to have knowledge as well. Well, we've been probing your life mm -hmm. and your faith. Thank you. Because it seems very real to me. Very real. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.